welcome, welcome, welcome to this week's episode of the American Serial Killer Guidebook with your intrepid hosts, Elton and Cherish Morgan. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the American Serial Killer Guidebook. I'm your host, Elton Morgan. I'm your co-host, Cherish Morgan. And we're, we're the, the Morgans. Morgans. This week, we'll be hopping a ride in the murder mobile with William Devin Howe, a.k.a. the Sick Ripper, and following his trail of bodies that ended in a wooded area behind a local dollar store. Unlike other serial killers, Howe had a ritual of, after raping his victims for hours, taking them nude and tied up in the back of his van through the McDonald's drive-thru for what he called their last meal before taking them to a remote area, allowing them to eat, continually raping, and then strangling them to death. He was already in prison serving time for murder when he admitted killing six others to his cellmate and saying that he had slept next to the body of one of his victims in his van, he dubbed the murder mobile for two weeks. It was the same cellmate who took what Hal told him to the DA's office and worked out a tasty little deal to testify against Hal, resulting in the sick ripper, finally being brought to justice, sentenced to six life sentences, which in Connecticut equals 360 years. Damn. Yeah, so apparently life sentence in Connecticut is 60 years. Ooh. That's it. So you you commit murder and you get life. That's 60 years. Uh, You do 85% of the time you're out in, you know, 40 plus years. But fuck, who can, uh, who wants to sit around in prison for 40 years, you know? (laughs) So. I'm surprised. I guess uh, they don't do death. Oh, they don't do death in Connecticut? No, I I don't believe so. so. Because, I mean, if you're convicted of killing six people, I mean, why is the death sentence not on the table? I mean, it's worse for them to have to sit it out anyway. I think so. Uh, You know, a lot of people, whenever someone gets sentenced to, to life, people get upset because they're not sentenced to death. But... Most people, it takes, I'm assuming it takes most states roughly 15 to 20 years to execute someone. Mm -hmm. But if they have life without possibility of parole, you know that that person is never going to get out. Yeah. You know, they're going to be in there. If someone commits a crime at 25, 30 years old and they get life without the possibility of parole, and say they murdered someone close to you in your family or a friend or a child or something like that. I think that most people would rather have them spend the next, you know, 30 to 40 years sitting in a prison cell than, you know, 10 years, 15 years down the line, they get the easy way out and executed. Exactly. You know, I think so. they should have to sit it out. I think so as well. Stay tuned after the episode to find out who we will be covering next week. Make sure to visit us at taskg.net, where you can listen to all of our episodes. You can visit our store for the coolest serial killer gear around, and it really is cool stuff. Mm -hmm. And follow our blog to read about even more serial killers that we haven't done episodes for yet. And there are quite a few on there. There's some really good ones, like uh, Ma and Pa Coleman, a a 60- and 70-year-old couple that had a penchant for... uh, Hiring than murdering their farmhands after getting them to, uh, after opening bank accounts in their names and getting them to write checks for fraudulent checks for uh, livestock. Yeah, that was a really good story. Yeah, I really like that. 
If you can, please help support the show by visiting the links in the episode description for our Patreon. You can buy us a coffee, or you can get a $20 Amazon gift card from Buzzsprout when you sign up for a paid plan. As long as you use our link, letting them know that we sent you. And you can use Buzzsprout is great. That's who we use to host our podcast. So I definitely recommend it if you're looking forward to starting a podcast of your own. They're a great little company. You, you, they will uh, submit all of your podcast. I mean, all of your episodes to all of the podcast platforms. You don't have to do any of that. You can forward everything directly to your website. It's a great little company. It really is. So enough with the preliminaries. Let's get this show on the road and talk about some sick, sadistic serial killing. <laughs> Once a pattern in the crimes is discovered, many serial killers will obtain their names from the news or law enforcement organizations. But in the case of William Devin Howe, he decided he was going to name himself, which turned out to be a fairly stupid name. The actual story of the Sick Ripper follows William Devin Howe's murder mobile, in which he took advantage of weak, marginalized communities in order to fulfill his warped fantasies. All right, Howe was responsible for the deaths of six women and one man in Connecticut back in 2003. He buried the, vo- the bodies of his victims behind a strip mall and... That seems to be a pretty popular type of place for dumping bodies these days. You watch NCIS for any city or pretty much many movies, TV shows, whatever, and they're always finding bodies either in dumpsters or laying in the alleys behind strip malls, Mm -hmm. in the woods behind strip malls. It's because no matter where you go, every Walmart, Target, every large retailer has a strip mall next to it. Strip malls everywhere. This country is fucking tied together by strip malls. Yeah. So bodies everywhere. You could probably go to the closest strip mall to you, dear listener. Go walking around behind it and find a body. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. And I don't just mean the hobos either. How, like many other criminals, roamed around in his menacing little vehicle, that van that he called the Murder Mobile, which is kind of a cool name, but not I mean, really, yeah, Murder Mobile. It's not very, very unique. And inside it is where he committed all of his his crimes, and he did it in a single year. He was apprehended and imprisoned for one of the murders, but he stayed in custody for an entire decade before investigators understood the scope of his crimes and i guess many killers when they first get arrested they've got news attention they've got the the detectives the police are all showing them a lot of attention they get locked up all of the other criminals are showing them attention and you know respect or whatever oh he's a murderer look out for him Mm -hmm. but after as time goes by all that stuff goes away you know the attention it, it it's just people get used to it well he was desperate for attention, so he decided to start talking to his cellmate, and that's when he confessed that he was the sick ripper murderer. <clears throat> he was responsible for the murders of seven individuals, and according to the inmate, Hal told him details of his murders, even describing a monster inside him that suddenly broke out as his motive. And Hal also stated that during his conversations with his cellmate, he mentioned that if he hadn't been captured, he was going to go cross-country and 
kill people. He was just bragging on himself. Yeah, it's easy to say what you were going to do if the cops wouldn't have got you, yeah. but actually doing it. You know, Look at I mean, me, I'm big and bad. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, it, it, anybody who's ever been in jail, and yes, I have been in jail for a very short period of time decades ago when I was young and being goofy kid. But whenever you're in jail, everybody talks big. You know, you try to scare people. You try to maintain this facade of strength so that other people don't beat the shit out of you. Mm. Take your stuff. Yeah. I was never in prison. I was just in the local city jail for a day. So, but uh, I know people who have been in prison. We both do. Clearly, there was a monster, and that creature is Hal himself. Many serial killers attribute their crimes to something else, like BTK Killer, which stands for Bind, Torture, Kill. And he famously stated that, I genuinely think it's a demon that's within me. And it could have been. Possibly. I think he was just a punk bitch who couldn't get a woman on his own, so he had no recourse but to take what he couldn't get. That too, yeah. Hal buried the victims behind a strip mall in the woods, which he dubbed his garden. All seven of his victims' corpses were found in the garden, though it took the cops many years to uncover all of them. They'd made one trip, they'd find some, they'd make another trip, they'd find more body parts. Over the course of eight years, they discovered the bodies. In 2007, authorities discovered the bones of the first body after a hunter discovered a, a human skull in the woods. A Police Chief James Wardell believed the search was far from done after discovering the remains of the first three bodies in 2007. They discovered the bones of three more of Howell's victims later that year, but police returned to the site in 2015 and discovered the rest of the remains by utilizing cadaver dogs and excavating the surrounding terrain. Wardell seemed pleased to have finally brought justice and peace to the families of all seven of these victims who had gone missing. And he said they had spent years searching for their loved ones. We were relieved that we had been able to provide some closure for them. It's a pity it had to come to this. So did they keep looking because he talked in prison or because they had other evidence to feel like they needed to search for more bodies? I think that it was because he had a big mouth. He talked a lot in prison and he told them how many people he had killed. They knew how many people were missing. So they knew there were more bodies out there. Mm-hmm. So they were bound to determine, well, if he put three here, chances are he put more here. Yeah. What I don't understand is why they just gave up after three Yeah. the first time. Why'd they wait eight more years to go back and look? They should have gone in with heavy equipment, cadaver dogs, uh, GPR, which is ground penetrating radar. They should have done everything they could and fully excavated that entire area at the first time they went out there. Yeah, they should have. I agree. Yeah, just, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that police don't reveal what kind of evidence they have at the, available at the time. You know, mm-hmm. they keep things secret. Hal dubbed himself the Sick Ripper and called his van the Murder Mobile, which is where he made his kills. Police discovered DNA matching known victims in his Murder Mobile. This tied him to the series of killings. And even though no corpse had been found, the investigators charged Howe with murder and sentenced him to 15 years after discovering a blood match to a missing woman, Nilsa Arismendi. And that's really good that they could sentence him to 15 years for just finding blood. In his, in right. His this is this is before they found the bodies in 07. Everything. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, all at the very beginning. They 
had no body, but they found the his they found her blood in his van. She was missing. No murder weapon or well, they did find the murder weapon, the hammer, but not having a body and still getting convicted of murder. It is right. possible it's a stretch, but they got him. Yeah, that's good. And the hammer, the instrument he used to kill Aris Mendy was also discovered in his murder mobile as this is the interesting part, as were tapes that showed him fornicating with women. So he was recording them. He was recording these different women. So that right there tells us that the cops had the tapes. They knew there was other women out there. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Howell was eventually discovered to have sexually assaulted at least three of his victims, according to the police anyway. Having met before Arizmendi and her boyfriend, Ace Sanchez, this is information they found out later from, from Howell when they were interviewing him in prison about, you know, why he murdered Arizmendi. And they had met before, and her and her boyfriend, Ace Sanchez, had invited him to their hotel room where the three of them smoked crack, and they engaged in a drug-fueled three-way. So I guess they went over there, they got spun out of their brains, and started all having sex together. Well, according to the court filings, Arizmendi's boyfriend later told police that she vanished on July 25th of 2003, but it was only after getting into the blue van of someone they knew as Devin in a parking lot near the Berlin Turnpike in Wethersfield to buy narcotics. So they got high. They had sex. They knew him as Devin, which is his middle name. So I guess they ran out of dope. They started coming down. She was like, I know where to get some more drugs. And he offered to take her. Her, her and Devin got in the car, left her boyfriend at the motel room. Or got in the van, and he never saw her again. And investigators were able to identify Hal as the van's owner, and they noticed that the tattoo Devin was on his bicep whenever they confronted him about it. According to the affidavit, they made a startling find inside whenever they got the warrant to search his van. The back cushion of the van's seat was smeared with blood, and the blood soaked through the fabric into the foam underneath, and another cushion had been removed and replaced with three sofa cushions. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was his murder mobile, his mobile fuck pad, or his rake <laughs> pad, everything all in one. Mm-mm. If you go to our website and you look at the blog story about the sick ripper, William Devin Howe, we have all of the pictures of the murder mobile, the inside of his van, the victims. We have all of that. So make sure you go there and check that out. From prison, Howe told author Ann K. Howard that Arizmendi had asked for a lift to Hartford, but he had instead abducted her. He raped her throughout the day and into the night before killing her and dumping her down the hill into his garden. <clears throat> the partial remains of Diane Cusack, age 53, Joy Valine Martinez, age 23, and Mary Jane Menard, 40, were the victims found in 2007 by the hunter in the wooded area in New Britain. But the murders weren't linked to Howell until investigators got a tip from his inmate, his fellow inmate anyway, Jonathan Mills. Mills himself was a triple murderer who had befriended the former gardener behind bars, and a second murder warrant was soon issued for Howell. This is when they first got the information, and we're starting to tie him to the other murders. Right. And, you know, Jonathan Mills, he's in a triple murder. He's in there for life. I mean, the guy's 
Hal just basically handed him a big boatload of prison privileges. Mm-hmm. You know, he I'm sure he went to the to the warden, the DA, said, "Hey, I'll testify. I'm in here for the rest of my life, but I want this, this, and this. I want a single cell. I want a TV. Mm-hmm. You know, he probably got a ton of privileges for, yeah. for snitching out Hal. Yeah. According to testimony by Mills, in a continual effort to impress his cellmate, who obviously didn't want to know about this stuff in the first place, Hal said that it was too chilly outside to bury his first victim's body, which is Ara's Mindy. So he wrapped the body in plastic and he slept next to it for two weeks. That's in, crazy. Yeah, in the murder mobile, but not before removing her fingertips and her jaw. Oh, God. So not only is he in this van with a body, but it's one that has fingertips and jaw missing. It's wrapped in plastic, but he's sleeping next to it. It's got to stink. Mm, oh, yeah. You know, and be leaking Fluids everywhere. Oh, I just I don't know how some of these maniacs do this. Yeah, that's disgusting. He also revealed that he had given her the moniker Baby. That's what he called her. And stated that some of her was buried in Virginia rather than Connecticut, which is where the remainder of her remains were discovered. <laughs> Mills drew a detailed map of where the bodies were buried using information from his conversations with Hal. And in... That you've got to go into a lot of detail, giving you know, telling someone the shit you've done for them to be able to draw a map that actually identifies the location of these bodies. Yeah, he must have been like, okay, so you go ten feet behind, you go a hundred feet this way, and take you know, (laughs) ridiculous. And. April of 2015, investigators discovered the bodies of Arizmendi, whom he was already serving time for murdering, and three other victims. The, the second set of people that were found were Melanie Ruth Camellini, age 29, Marilyn Gonzalez, age 26, and Danny Lee Wisnett, 44, in the same wooded area behind the shopping mall off Hartford Road, where police had found the other three bodies in 07. And because of their savagery and violence... Hal's crime stood apart. According to his arrest warrant, Hal's first victim, Melanie Ruth Camellini, was raped repeatedly, strangled, and beaten in the head with a hammer until almost nothing remained. I mm. uh, made a mistake earlier. It wasn't R.S. Mendy who was his first victim that he slept with her body. It was Camellini. My apologies, everyone. And, yeah, he had beaten her in the head with a hammer until almost nothing remained of her skull. He cut off the tips of her fingers and removed the bottom portion of her jaw to conceal her identity before throwing the body parts in a dumpster behind the dollar store in Hartford and burying the rest of the body in what would become his graveyard behind the New Britain strip mall. In another case, Hal claimed to have kidnapped Gonzalez and raped her for the entire night before stopping at McDonald's to buy her a last meal. And this would become a ritual for him. He said, I'd go through the Mickey D's drive-thru with a half-naked, tied-up bitch in the back and tell them if they made a sound, it'd be their last. I don't know about you, but if I'm about to be killed and raped and murdered, I'm not going to be that hungry. I sure as hell wouldn't be quiet. No, I wouldn't either. Because, you know, surely the victims in the back could see the blood that was in the van. Yeah. I'd know that I was going to be killed. I'd be screaming and kicking and banging and trying to get the person's attention, you know, anything to try to make him let me out. Yeah. And so that he could run, you know, 
or if uh, if I was going to be killed anyway to draw attention to him so that the police would know, hey, what the guy looks like. They could look at the surveillance cameras, maybe get him caught. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Hal stated, I just killed them to hide the evidence. I knew if I raped them, they'd report me to the cops and I'd be back in jail. So as a result, I had to prevent that from happening. I didn't enjoy killing them in the least. I was thinking to myself as I strangled them, just hurry up and fucking die. Wow. Yeah. So he just did it. He just took these people's lives just so he wouldn't have to go sit back in jail. Yeah. Where he ended up in the any anyway. fucking way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that the Connecticut State Division of Criminal Justice was only able to connect Tao to the rapes of three women, he admitted to raping all of his victims except Wisnet, whom he said he rage killed after discovering the 44 year old. Man was transgender and biologically male. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> Hal said, how would they know I only raped three women? When they dug them up, the bodies were nothing but bones, he claimed. With the exception of the faggot Danny Wisnett, I raped everyone. And this is a quote, so please don't get upset with me for the derogatory language. In his blue 1985 Ford Econoline van, investigators collected DNA from six of the seven victims. Hal said that he was raised by a decent family in a good house, but that as an adult, he was troubled with rape fantasies and resentment. That stuff, if you're raised by a good family and, you know, you have a normal childhood and things like that, you don't, I don't think... You start thinking about rape fantasies and things like that. I don't. I think that you have to be exposed to some kind of trauma. I don't know how you could just be a normal, happy, everyday kid and then all of a sudden start fantasizing about rape. Yeah. Something has to happen. Yeah, that makes sense. After a quarrel with his girlfriend, he committed to making his fantasies a reality. I'm not sure what it was that made me say, well, tonight is the night I'm going to cross the line. It's something I'm going to do. I'm going to make my wish come true. Adding that the murders were something he decided to do because he was selfish. To save his victims' families the misery of a trial, Howe opted to plead guilty to the six remaining killings in 2017. He tearfully detailed his crimes at an intense emotional sentencing hearing that year. They're always tearful. They're always so damn sad. They're always, you know, apologizing for causing the families all this pain. But they didn't seem to give a shit when they were strangling these poor girls Mm -mm. to death and they were begging for their lives. Yeah. Makes me sick. According to court records, he added, first, I want to apologize to the victims' families. I know everyone wants to know why I committed these crimes. I don't have an answer. I do not know myself. Hal had hoped for the death penalty, but the state repealed capital punishment in 2012, and he was instead sentenced to 360 years in prison, according to the Division of Criminal Justice. And according to the local press, New Britain State's attorney Brian Proleski commented at the time, this sentence doesn't provide justice for the harm done by this defendant, but it is as close to justice as we can get. Hal still feels that he isn't a monster despite claiming seven lives. He said, I mean, I committed monstrous and heinous crimes, but my true character isn't a monstrous and heinous person. Well, he's delusional. Definitely delusional. You don't rape and murder and terrorize and disfigure the corpses of your victims if you're a level-headed, stable adult. Mm -mm. 
You just don't. No. When he was finally convicted, Hal became Connecticut's most prolific serial killer. Before him, Michael Ross, who murdered eight individuals in total, six of whom were in Connecticut, held the distinction of most prolific serial killer in the state of Connecticut. Ross was condemned to death by lethal injection by the state in 2005. Prior to Hal becoming a suspect, authorities offered a $150,000 reward, and that was the largest in state history for information leading to the arrest of the killer. All seven victims were linked by two basic factors, drugs or prostitution. And the reason for all of this, Hal later said, the victims should have known they were going to die because of the lifestyles that they led. He turned around and blamed it on them. Exactly. So if you're a prostitute or you're using drugs, you're going to die. There are, if you've ever seen Lifetime Channel and being your husband of almost a quarter of a century, I know for a fact that you have. <laughs> uh, you see tons of movies, the Hallmark Channel, tons of movies about redemption. Mm-hmm. About people who, in their earlier lives, they do a lot of hard drugs, they live on the streets, they engage in prostitution, theft, prison, all kinds of things. But these people turn their lives, you know, a lot of people turn their lives around. Absolutely. This monster never gave any of them the chance. No. He didn't. He took their options. He took their futures. He took their lives. And as far as I'm concerned, he's exactly where he needs to be. Yep. But I want to thank everybody for coming with us along on this journey this week. Um, Make sure to stay tuned and find out who we're going to be covering next. Uh, Like we said earlier, we have a lot of blog posts that cover some other killers that we think you'd be interested in. And a lot of the, the people that we've done stories on, they're... Their blog posts are in there as well, the stories, but they have a lot of the pictures. A lot of the stuff that we mention in our episodes can actually see the visual documentation of it on our website. So make sure to go by there. Check us out on taskg.net, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the American Serial Killer Guidebook. Be sure to subscribe. Visit us at taskg.net. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And join us next week for another exciting episode filled with murder and mayhem.